I'm your host, Andrew Robson, and today I have with me a friend, a colleague, and a very talented artist from the Northeastern United States, Sergio Kwan. Sergio's work, especially with deciduous bonsai, and in particular with Japanese maples, has been very compelling to me in my own practice in what we do at Rakuyo. Sergio, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Andy. Thank you very much for that kind intro. I think we have mutual respect. Yeah. So you, you inspire me tremendously as well. So, and we're kind of two deciduous heads here talking, talking, uh, geeking out on, on deciduous. So yeah, I, there's not uh, many of us, is there? Yeah. <laughs> no, so it's good. It's, it's very good. Um, yeah. Excited to be here talking to you. Yeah, so, so I think today we're going to talk about Japanese maple. So, so where, how, what was your first experience with a Japanese maple? Yeah, what? so this was a while back. I mean, I, I can't really remember. We're talking probably 25 years ago or something like that. And um, what I love about it is that, um, you know, I didn't know much about, you know, bonsai at that time for sure. And, and even less about Japanese maples. But one thing that... Um, that sort of like um, fascinated me, right? Was the fact that they changed colors through through the you know in autumn they they changed color. They went from green to like reds or yellows, and to me it was fascinating how in such a small contained space, right? You could uh, you could kind of uh, experience the magic and, and mystique of of nature itself. Uh, to me, that was just magic. How they kind of behave very much like like a tree in nature. So that's how I got kind of hooked into Japanese maples and I think in, in general, deciduous trees. Um, but, uh, but as I moved on, and, and you heard me, I believe you heard me say this too in my podcast with Ryan Neal, that as I moved on, I realized, of course, I have a background in art and design. And uh, I realized that what, what was attracting me about it beyond like the fact that they kind of changed through the seasons is the fact that I am very attracted to to the power or the or the expressive expressive quality of of a line of a drawn line, and for me again, I saw I saw the Cedar trees obviously in the their winter silhouette as like a you know a just a you know a, a bunch of kind of lines just so sort of coalescing together to make a to make the you know a, a sort of evoke. A, a tree in nature. So that was really how I, I, I became, I said, aha, that's, that's, I think that that's why I'm really fascinated now as an artist with deciduous trees, much more than conifers. In conifers, I feel like it's more about mass. Obviously you have, you know, there's, there's the power of line, of course, in, when you're designing a conifer, but it's more about mass for, at least for me, rather than the, the pure expression of, of a bunch of lines, again, coalescing together to make this great composition. Yeah, so was, did you get exposed to Japanese maples through bonsai? Or was, did you have you know, any experience within, within your yard, in the landscape? It was mostly, I think, through bonsai. I remember um, there was back in the day, we're, we're talking, I'm dating myself. This was late, late 80s. Um, so I went to, there was a, 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 a store in Manhattan that was selling bonsai. I mean, and, and if we were look, to look at those trees nowadays, we would probably laugh because they, you know, they were just things just put in a bonsai pot and sold for like hundreds of dollars. And, but I, but, but one thing that struck me when I went there, mostly they had procumbents juniper in that store. 
and uh, and there was this Japanese maple that uh, that immediately uh, I was fascinating. I remember it was spring, and uh, the the maple the leaves were red, and to me that just stuck out in the in in the whole store. I was like, wow, look at that! I mean, it was beautiful. Looking yeah. back, of course, and I have photographs of that tree. Looking back, it was just <laughs> right, but at the time I thought it was like you know the end be all uh, for me. So. I remember it was through bonsai to answer your question. It was through, through bonsai that I became fascinated with, with Japanese maples. Yeah, interesting. You know, my first experience with Japanese maples, um, it was actually my first experience or my first memory of any tree. And so I was, I was um, you know, I, I'm, I don't have this deep connection to like an American tree. Like I didn't grow up like growing in the woods or whatnot. But I, I, I grew up going with my dad to a, 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 a nursery outside of St. Louis called Crab Apple Cove. And they had probably one of the best selections of Japanese maples in, in the United States. So my first memory of trees, I'm, I'm a little kid. I'm running around, you know, underneath all these, you know, Japanese maples. And that's a tree that, you know, it's, for me, it's really deeply rooted into my childhood. And it's not a native tree at all, but it's, yeah. it's a really gorgeous tree. It, it is. It is. Absolutely. I mean, absolutely. I think, I think with Japanese maples, you kind of get everything. I think it's the quintessential. And I think it, it's no coincidence, right, that in, in Japan, it is, you know, if the king is like maybe the the, the Japanese uh, black pine, the queen is is the uh, Japanese maple. Sure. And, uh, you get everything with Japanese maple. You get that refinement. You got that detail. You got color. You got you got bark texture. You got you have everything in there. Well, whereas with other spe- species, you have sort of maybe the the growth or, or the pattern of the branches a little coarser and stuff like that. But with Japanese maples, you get everything is really to me is a quintessential deciduous deciduous tree yeah i think it's i think it's one of the most elegant plants that we can work with in 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 bonsai it's i mean like you said the line is hugely important the seasonality of that it presents is you know incredible but i think it's just such a elegant plant it's a chance for us to put it put down our our pines that have all this power and mass and and whatnot and play with something a little more evocative uh, something a little more you know dance-like so to speak yeah so I, I really enjoy it for that yeah really. yeah absolutely i you know we are giving two trees a conifer and a japanese maple my eyes just go <laughs> japanese maple yeah, so yeah. like i i have uh, i have a, a serious weakness when it comes to japanese maples for sure are there any particular varieties or selections that you you, you really particularly enjoy well there's many as you know andy there's uh but I would say, and I always say this, for me, the, the you know, the straight up, uh, you know, green acer palmatum, right, the standard acer palmatum, to me has been the best because it's the most vigorous, it, re- it responds great with, uh, you know, uh, or, you know any, any kind of techniques that you, you may apply to it. Um, but there's many, right? You have Arakawa. Arakawa is like absolutely gorgeous. I mean, talking about a tree that you get everything, you get uh, bark texture, you got yeah. core not even fine ramification, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, but I like, I love Arakawa. I love, um, uh, let's see, there is, um, oh boy. I mean, there's so many, right? Uh, but Arakawa has got to be up there. I have a, oh, I, as you know, I have a sharp pygmy. Yeah. Uh, funny, funny trees to work with, I got to tell you. Yeah, they're a little um, peculiar. They're peculiar, absolutely. Absolutely. That's definitely putting it, putting it in a nice way. Um, what, what, what have you found about Sharps Pygmy that's peculiar? What, what's kind of quirky about that one? 
Well, one of the things that I'm finding out through the years is is it it does butt butt back, but it kind of it wants to at least in my experience with the I only have one right the the one mm-hmm. that that uh, that you know you're 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 familiar with that tree. Um, I find that they like to kind of shed some of the some of the uh, some of the uh, you know, fine ramification up closer to the trunk in favor of like the tips. I, again, that you, we can argue that that's kind of a common thing mm-hmm. through all the deciduous trees. But sure. even when you apply, even when you apply uh, partial uh, defoliation, et cetera, et cetera, to keep everything inside, you know, nice and healthy and stuff, they're peculiar in the, that sense. I, you know, they kind of get a little bit weaker and, you know, that, that fine ramification kind of gets lost and then you end up with this, these sort of tips with, with just the ramification on the tips and nothing in the inside. That has happened to me in a few spots. And um, so one of the things that I, that I had to do is um, I, I treated it very aggressively this year. I let it, I let it just push out in, 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 the, in the spring. With no and, pinching. And, yeah, and then, and then, right, exactly. And then in June, uh, I'm assuming that you guys are similar uh, to the northeast, as far as like when it hardens off, and I just hacked it back. Like I had, a, I had a couple, at least long branches, thick branches, that only had ramification on the tips, and I chopped it literally in half, and yeah. it just bought it back like crazy. Now, very short buds, they're all set for next year. So in another, I would say in another couple of years, it's going to look really good. I'm hoping. Yeah. So it's not, and and certainly this year, the the, the silhouette. I don't think you're going to see a lot of pictures of me take of um, of that tree this this winter because it's not going to look great. It's, yeah, I mean that's the thing with deciduous bonsai is is a lot of the work we do is not very pretty. It's 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 really rough cuts. It's it's um, reinvigorating the trees. It's absolutely. it's not that really beautiful fine conifer work where you're just laying out every little branch and and, and you can really make it look you know quite nice. It's it's a very different world. Yes, yes. But I'm curious, Andy, what, what is your, um, why do you find them peculiar in your, in your experience? Yeah, I think, you know, I think going back to just cultivars in, in general, I think they're, they can be really challenging to work with it, as, as opposed to your typical just green leaf Japanese maple. And, and that's probably why you, you favor it and why I favor it as well is because it's, it's really easy to work with. Yeah. Whenever you introduce a cultivar, it, it's, you know, it's, it's a seedling selection that's been really, you know, modified to, to produce a certain effect, be it, you know, a nice rough bark, a certain color, a weird leaf. And so a lot of those cultivars, they can have very difficult growth patterns to kind of manage. Yes. And, and so I, I just find that although a lot of them can be quite beautiful, and there's a few that we use that we really like, like Shishigashira, like Arakawa, um, I, I tend to stay away from them in my practice just because they, they have very strange growth and that's hard to deal with um, on a sustainable basis, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40 years of, of, you know, fine work. Absolutely. I totally agree. I totally agree. And, and in fact, I, 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 you know, it is easy to get caught in the whole, because they're so gorgeous, right? You have cultivars that are so strange and so yeah. Um, but I, I always tell people, particularly those that are starting out and they're just in love with Japanese maples, is like you probably are going to want to stay away, at least at the beginning, from some of those fancy cultivars mm-hmm. because 
your point, they're difficult. They're, 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 some of them tend to be weak on their roots. I mean, yeah. I just to give you an example, I bought a, a really kind of rare, I went to this um, nursery. It's not, not in business anymore, um, maybe about uh, oh, eight or nine years ago. And I bought this weird uh, kind of cultivar of, of uh, very rare uh, Japanese maple. And I bought one at the time. It was really expensive. I got it. It was a small, small thing. And uh, long story short, I basically killed it by just pruning it, if you can believe it. At the time, I went, I hacked it very much like you would do on a green Japanese maple, right? I was like, sure. I was thinking, I'm thinking Japanese maple, right? Like, I, I'm not really thinking, oh, this is a weird cultivar. Let me just kind of approach it in a different way. So I went and I, and I just pruned the hell out of it and uh, didn't really do any repotting, didn't do any kind of weird thing about it just by pruning it and I killed it. I killed it. So again, that's, that's probably an extreme. I mean, um, I, I, since then I haven't had uh, such, a, such an experience with a fancy cultivar, mm-hmm. but I would agree that, um, I mean, bonsai itself, right, as an art, is hard enough. You don't want to add to them on top of that. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, You're that's a good point. Up on, your, on your travels, basically. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the, the, the cultivars, they can be really, really challenging to deal with. And, and some of them can even be so fancy that they take away from the things that we talked about we love about Japanese maples, like the nice, beautiful line, the elegance. When you get all these crazy leaves or these weird colors, it, it can just kind of take away from, from the essence of bonsai. I completely agree. I completely agree. They're almost like too showy and too fancy. Yeah. Too, too, so I, I completely agree with you. Yeah. So Sergio, in your, in your deciduous work, something I find really inspiring is that you, 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 you find these pieces of material. You know, I, I think you're, you have excellent eye for material selection. And you find these really pe- good pieces of material, these really good bones. And then you totally kind of transform them. And so would you say that in, in your practice, you're, 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 are you more building these trees from scratch or, or are you taking a, a, a nice tree with bones and are you kind of refining that and, and using that, putting your paintbrush on that? Sure. Uh, I would say a little bit of both, Andy. Um, I would say I like to get things that somebody else would have never probably thought possible of, of developing right um I, I like that i like to kind of re sort of um reinvent a tree if you yeah. will um and that's and, not even not easy to do with deciduous trees too no you you can you agree you can you can much easier i suppose right and not not to say that that is you know working with conifers is easy because it's got its own challenges for sure but you can transform a a, a conifer i think in uh and i think that that's that's the, the appeal in, in in for a lot of artists is that you can really transform this you can be super creative with a with a conifer with the tedious obviously you have you have different limitations but um but i like i like to get a piece of material and kind of reinvent it if you will uh and there's all the pieces for example that i i don't mind buying something that has got good bones it's got already a trunk nice body and just kind of continue on its development not necessarily sure. not necessarily get something nice and say i am going to put my stamp on it i'm going to completely reinvent this tree sometimes that is not what is what what the tree needs right yeah. um so you're you, using the moment when you get an old tree you're using the momentum of that tree to, to build its future 
that's exactly right. The momentum is, is exactly the right word to say yes. Yeah, so I just go with that momentum. I just push it kind of forward as best as, best as I can. Um, but I remember getting uh, a, a Japanese maple uh, that it was a twin trunk, and this came actually from Randy Knight, uh, who, as you know, he's known mainly for collecting conifers. And this maple came from Randy Knight, and I got it from an enthusiast uh, that, you know, she, he wanted to get rid of it, and so I bought it from, from him. And uh, I started kind of tinkering with it, and, uh, and I realized when I got it, it's got these, you know, big hunk, chunks of wood that, that looking at it, I said, there's no way I will ever make a classical classic japanese maple out of this this tree wants to be an oak this tree wants something so i kind of forgot about the fact that this was a maple right and i wanted to kind of evoke uh like an old oak in nature and whatever so i totally forgot that that it was a maple i always yeah you did a big design pivot yeah completely and i say you know what if you can as, as i like to say if you cannot be you know, join them right so i said let me because the, the original front was uh kind of hiding all that dead wood and all scars and i said let let me let me look at the back what was the back and i actually want to make that in the front i want to carve all that wood make that a, 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 just a, a main feature of the tree because it just there's no way there's no way that that would ever close or anything. It just did not want to be this classical Japanese maple. And that was okay. That was okay. But I think we need to also be, I guess the moral of that story, what I learned about that was that, you know, it's probably best to kind of go get, let the tree guide you basically and not try to force a tree to be something that it doesn't want to be. Yeah. Yeah, that's super important in bonsai. It's 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 really hard to, um, it's really hard to learn that. But once you do, it's it's one of the things you you never let go of. Yes. Um, yeah, interesting. So with with your deciduous trees, with your Japanese maples, you you talked a lot about line and how line is super important to you. How are you how are you creating those lines? How are you shaping those lines? Are you doing it with scissors? Are you doing it with wires? Are you using a combination of both? What how, how are you making these lines? Sure, that, that's a that's a great question, Andy. Um I for me anyway, and I know that there is obviously you you ask you ask 10 artists and they're all going to give you probably a different answer. For me, the combination of wire and and the the clip and grow as they call it mm-hmm. is gives me the best results. Now with that being said, I am a big believer of wiring, setting the general kind of feeling, character, structure of the tree, wiring pretty much to the tips. And I'm talking again, wiring maples all, all to the tips and trying to set up that general character, that personality, just, just tease out that personality of, of the tree, right? So once that's said, I find myself wiring in, in, in the following few years, wiring a little bit here and there. But as the tree kind of matures, that design matures, settles. I let the kind of natural kind of growth habit of, of Japanese maples, which I, as you know, is beautiful. Mm-hmm. Let that kind of take over so that eventually becomes this sort of more natural feeling and not, not this artificial thing. Um, so it's a little bit of uh, both for me. Oh, and then, of course, I, I ease up, right? I win out of uh, ease up on the wiring, and then it becomes a little more of the clip and grow. You always find, and I don't know, I'm sure that 
you're probably the same. I always find a, a branch here or there needs a little bit of correction with wire and such. Yes, sure. but, but not nearly as much as in the beginning stages when I'm trying to kind of set the general character direction for the tree. Um, so I always, I always recommend uh, a combination of both uh, wire uh, and, and, uh, and the, uh, what they call the clip and roll method. Yeah. 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 I, I, I do some very similar things. Um, so you're, you're wiring out your, your kind of your main structure. Maybe you're doing a second wiring after that and then you really start to back off on the wiring and let the genetics of the tree, the genetics of the branching really create your shapes and, and build from that. Exactly. And I'm, I'm very, uh, I'm very aware. Um, you know, I have this bad habit, I guess you can say it's bad where I'm, I always like to work standing up. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I have that habit from my painting days where I used to set up my canvas in the ease. All right. And I used to, with my brush strokes, whatever, and back off, right? And to see what I'm doing, I, I adapted the same sort of, again, it could be a bad, it could be a good thing. I don't, you know, I think it's a little bit of both. Uh, bad habit of just putting my tree against a clean wall and I do a little bit of wiring, I back off, and I, I want to see the entirety of the composition as I'm doing it. It's very difficult. I know some people can do it, and, and that's totally fine. I think we all certainly have different ways of working, but for me, uh, it's very difficult to sit for like five, six hours just wiring, just wiring, just wiring, and then just step back. I got it constantly. It's a back and forth kind of thing. So uh, I'm very aware of how the branches sort of talk to each other, how they relate to each other, how they relate from one one side of the tree to the other. If this branch has a little bit of a quirky kind of twist. How can I kind of pick up that quirkiness someplace else so that all the pieces in that composition start to kind of talk to each other? Certainly, of course, the relationship between branches and trunk and the, the body and the placement of the, the tree in the pot and all that stuff, as you know. So, as you know, this is a game of, of, of millimeters, right? Any yeah. little kind of little change is, makes a huge impact on your, on your uh, composition. Yeah, you, you brought up a good point. I think working against a white wall or just like a clean backdrop is hugely important in deciduous bonsai. It's, it's, it's one of the things I always tell my students is work against a, a nice clean backdrop because you can really see clearly what you're doing, especially if you introduce a camera and you're working in 2D versus Absolutely. 3D. You can really pick up things that you, you, you never really saw before. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you, you know, the last thing you want to do is uh, work, at, you know, maybe – Sometimes, you know, you can, if you want to wire something quickly in your garden, of course, that happens. But when you're really kind of designing a tree, you're really looking at it, I think it's, it's crucial. I, I don't know how some people do it with all this noise in, in the, you know, behind the background because you don't really get to see that, that exact place and that exact relationship between, you know, a branch, you know, a lower branch to, to an upper branch, et cetera, et cetera. So it's, um, Yeah. When, when you're, so when you're wiring your, your trees, when you're doing the, you know, in process doing that, are you, did you say that you're, you're bending the branches as you're putting the wire on? So meaning you, you wire a branch, you bend it, you see how it feels, and then you wire the next branch, bend it and, and see how it feels. Or do you wire all the branches and then do it all at the end? For me, I actually have to get one, one portion of that tree usually the key branch usually that's that's the one where where it gives me 
it kind of sets the tone basically the, the aesthetic feel for the entire composition and not, i need to kind of feel a certain area and understand ah okay this is where i think this tree wants to go and that kind of informs for me anyway that kind of informs the rest but i always and i even when when i do a conifer I kind of have to have one branch and usually is that that key branch usually not always for me that I have to kind of get it pretty dialed in as far as the design and then I said okay got it I, I understand where this tree may, may need to go not to say that it'll, it becomes easy because it's always it's always a challenge and there are certain spots where you know it trips me up and I I'm, uh, I get a little bit unsure what to do here or there but but generally speaking I need to have one I know and then you can build everything off of that. Exactly. I know that some people just kind of wire the whole thing and then, which is another way of working, but I could never, I, I, for, for me, it's just not in my temperament. I got to get that, that one yeah. just, uh, just pretty much just so. So what type, what types of branches are you wiring? Are you wiring big branches? Are you wiring things, you know, larger than the size of your pinky? Or are you mostly wiring, you know, small branches? I, I, of course, we're talking about deciduous, right? And we're talking it, about deciduous, yep. yeah, yeah. On, on your maples, what, what, what size branches are you wiring? Are you wiring the big ones? Are you wiring mostly just the small I'm, ones? I'm, well, initially, initially, I, you know, many times I'm wiring pretty much, maybe not quite to the tips, but, but sometimes from like, from like the main structural branches to the secondaries to the tertiaries. Or, well, if, if it's in initial stages, obviously, I may not have a lot of tertiaries, not even secondaries. So the main branches, yeah. I but I but yeah, I get into like secondaries, and we need uh, some of the tertiary branches for sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, interesting. And are you using aluminum or copper? Uh, I I know that uh, both. That's that's really the, the <laughs> quick answer. Both. Um, yeah. I, I you know I'm using more and more the aluminum here's the here's the thing for me and i know that uh, aluminum is softer right and it's a little kinder on on the tree etc plus it's gotta just just because of its strength you gotta use thicker wire which that means a bigger uh, surface area which means less biting in because when you use the finer the wire the more the quicker the quicker it's gonna bite in so right. i'm aware of that but the problem for me is that when I have, uh, like I have this European beach that I, that I wire uh, last year and I wire with, you know, initial aluminum wire, it's all black, right? But it's such an eyesore for me looking at this tree and I, all I see is this black wire going all around the tree. And for me, it's a little bit of a jarring aesthetic kind of thing that yeah. sometimes... I like to go to copper because I use finer. The copper disappears a little bit more and it looks more beautiful. But I understand that the problem with copper, and I'm sure that, you know, you've experienced that, is that it, it will stay in the bark. In a, on a, on a, you know, it would, it would leave a mark there. Um, and that's so a big that's, consideration for wintertime when all the leaves drop off. That's a, that's exactly, a big consideration. Exactly. So, I, I, I wrestle for, with that, to be honest with you, Andy, because I'm like, I know I'm supposed to be using aluminum, but aesthetically, I'm like, ah, oh. anyway. Um, and of course, you have the biting in because it's got a smaller surface yeah. area, et cetera. So, um, certainly, I'm you know, I've been no using no. I've been using an aluminum, but the non-dyed aluminum, the non-painted, just a straight, you know, silver colored aluminum wire. 
Oh, um, really? And okay. it's, I find it really, really helpful for a few, few re- reasons. It's, it's a little less uh, jarring, you know, the black sure. against like the, the white twigs. Uh, but also I can really see it a lot more clearly. And so when I'm, you know, when the tree's full of leaves and it, I'm, I need to, you know, remove the wire, I, the, the black tends to blend in a little bit and, and the aluminum is like, I, I know right where it is and I can, you know, see it and get it off. And so I, I really like it. It's, it's, it's something I've done in my practice lately and it's, you know, I think it's a game changer. Yeah. I may, I may have to, I may have to resort to that. That, that sounds like maybe is the way to go also, but you're right. You want something that doesn't blend in, right? Uh, because I mean, once the tree has all those those leaves, it, it's tough. It's tough. Yeah. I think you get them all, and there's always that little piece. There's that always that little piece that's, that's still piece. on there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Do you use a lot of guy wires in your practice? Sometimes, not as much as maybe other folks, but uh, yeah, definitely sometimes they're very very useful uh, to use guy wires for sure. You know. Um, Particularly if you want to put, uh, feel like I'm going to put a lot of torque in the branch, you kind of bend it. Yeah. I, I go for a more of a guy wire kind of thing um, than, 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 than resorting to, to actually wiring the, the, the branch itself. You know? and, but, and have uh, you ever tried, when you're wrapping the wire, have you ever tried coating it in either like a, a, a florist tape or, or paper towel or, or, or electrical tape or just something? Sure, sure. I usually resort to the uh, the uh, floor state. Okay. I like green, right? For me, it's very easy to kind of wrap it. Uh, yeah. I'm pretty pretty proficient with that. And yeah, I definitely do it, especially for branches that I want to put a fairly good pressure in, into it that I know. Uh, as you know, it, it kind of buys you a little more time. I always say to folks, don't think that this is a... Put it on and forget it and, for, and leave it and forget it. Forget about it. Basically, it's like yeah. you be very careful because it will bite in. Uh, it just bite you bites you a little more time. Um, and you know, of course, in the process, it protects the bark and and, and all that good stuff. But uh, but yeah, so I use florist tape. I, I've never used paper and I've never used tape. Um, I'm fascinated with the. Um, I don't know if do you use that stuff too? Do you? I, you know, I was at a client's working a few days ago, uh-huh. and um, he didn't have any florist tape, so he pulled out some electrical tape, um, and we tried that, and I, it 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 didn't work. You know, super great, but I think it was better than nothing. I mean, when when it because it's so kind of sticky, like it, it wouldn't get a nice kind of co- contact to the wire, and so it created these like little ridges. Um, so I, I like the florist tape because it, it's a little stretchy. It, it, it just wraps on and, and has really nice contact onto the wire. Exactly. It's got a little bit of, uh, it's a little bit of uh, tacky, right? It's got a little bit yeah. of stick to it. Yeah, it's really nice. It's, it's nice stuff to, to use. Um, yeah. But, um, but the problem with that, uh, and I know uh, Bill and I were, Bill Valanis and I were talking about it a while back and, and they, he, he said the problem is is that the green somehow also t- speaking about blending talking about blending it kind of blends in sometimes a little too well and, uh, and yeah. it disappears especially when, when it gets a little bit um, kind of old and, and the, the, the color gets a little bit lighter it kind of tends to, sometimes to blend in particularly if you with Japanese maples as you know the, the younger branches are green and boy sometimes it's like it kind of completely disappears on, on, on you yeah, interesting. So with um, 
so let's circle back to young plants. I think I briefly talked about young plants a few, a few minutes ago. Um, do you grow a lot of young plants? Is, if I come to Sergio Kwan's garden, is there, you know, 20 Japanese maple air layers sitting on a bench? <laughs> or are you mostly working with older bones? Uh, mostly older, but, but I, I, I do, I'm doing the whole process, right? So I have what, what we call, right? Stick, stick, stick. Uh-huh. Um, so I, I have a few of those. I have the, uh, Nishikigawa, um, rough bark, uh, but yeah. it's a little stick on a pot. Uh-huh. Uh, so I have, I have fairly young material on one of the side benches and stuff like that. But um, but most most of my collection is a little bit more a little bit more developed. But again, I, I enjoy working with young plants because it kind of teach, teaches you a little bit um, the whole process of of creating a bonsai rice. You know, you start working on your nebari early on, your 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 lower trunk movement, etc., etc., etc. So it really kind of I think it's important to kind of go through to experience all that um, all that process. Um, you know, as a bonsai artist, but yeah, young, young, young bonsai work is almost the opposite of old bonsai work. It's a very different thing. It's very, it's, it's a very different, almost different art. And Absolutely. so I, I think it's super fun and rewarding to, to, to do what you're saying and to, to go through the whole process or, or have yeah. trees that are, you know, young trees and old trees. Yeah. I think, I think it's very healthy for a bonsai artist to really have, uh, have both and anything in between from very young plants, little uh, sticks on, in, in pots to like uh-huh. much more bigger developed trees and anything in between run the whole gamut. I think is, uh, I think it's a healthy thing for yeah. sure. You know, I, I always thought of the stick in a pot thing as a negative <laughs> and, and, and until I moved to Portland, there's a lady here named Ann Spencer. She was an old time club member in the Portland club. And she, all she grew was were sticks and pots, and she grew them. You know, she get this little, you know, five year old seedling. Uh, she put it in a bonsai pot, and she grow it. You know, just very cautiously, very carefully, for twenty, thirty, forty years. Just this little seedling in this container, uh, repotted every one or two years, um, mostly built with scissors. And most of her trees are, are chuhin size. They're not large, you know, exhibition sized trees. Yeah. But she did some of the most gorgeous deciduous work I've ever seen. It, it, it was really remarkable to see what a stick in a pot translates to 30 years down the road. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, another great example of that is Bill Balvanis himself. Sure. Yeah. I mean, like 40, 50 years ago. I mean, he has photographs in one of his books um, about, you know, I mean, these things you, you think, ah, oh, this thing is never going to become anything. Yeah. And, they have become, you know, iconic pieces of, of American bonsai art uh, 40 or 50 years later. Uh, so it's really remarkable. I mean, that, that to me is always incredibly inspi- inspiring to see how a little thing in a pot became through the years, this beautiful thing to your point with Anne Spencer is, um, it's amazing. And as, as you know, you know, deciduous trees, as, as, as we in, in the deciduous game uh, know, it's, it's a long game, right? This is yeah. it's a, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint, as you well know. Exactly. So, you know, it's uh, you're in for uh, for for the long haul here. Yep, yep. 
but but it's really nice when you get to the finish line. <laughs> totally, absolutely. Of course, if you're still alive, but <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Sure. Yeah, yes. <laughs> but even the process can be the really, really exciting. Is beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. Yeah. It's absolutely beautiful. It teaches you certainly teaches you patience. My God, yeah. My God, because you know, you know what's weird about me is that I admit that I am one of the most impatient people that you would probably want to meet. And I'm like, what am I doing doing bonsai? I'm very impatient. I want to get a tree and looking just, you know, beautiful in like two months. Of course, we know that that's not happening, right? <laughs> so he has taught me to really slow down and just taught me patience. That's what yeah. it is. And I have to look, I have to look five, 10 years ahead. And, you know, and, and it's not always easy for me. Um, I'll be honest, but, uh, yeah. yeah, I don't think it's easy for anyone, but, but it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's what we have to do with deciduous. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly right. Back, back to maples and pots. So yeah. I, have you found in your practice that a Japanese maple trunks up in a pot in a container? Uh, cause I know there's, there's certain species that will really trunk up in a container and there's some species that won't like a chochabai. If you put a chochabai in a pot, 20 years later, it's going to be about the same thickness. It's not really going to grow. But maples, I think there's, you know, going back to Bill's photos, seeing some of yeah. Spencer's work, they have a potential to really thicken up in a pot for some reason. Sure, sure. Well, I, I, I will tell you, honestly, I have not had that experience to tell you. Yes, obviously, you know, with seeing other people's experiences, of course, some Japanese maple hold that, that potential about, and there's a beautiful thing, right, about a tree growing a pot for again, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, uh, as opposed to uh, ground growing. And that's, I've resorted in a few of my younger trees, I've resorted to like ground growing because of, of course we know that they can trunk up much, much quicker, but then you end up with bigger scars and such, you know, blah, blah, yeah, blah. Yeah, it's a very different flavor than that elegance that we it, talked it, about in the beginning. It totally is, it totally is. But, uh, you know, th those are the beautiful things that I don't know, Spencer, Bill, and a few others have that, you know, that patience about growing. When I went to, um, I remember going to Japan in my first trip to Japan in, in 2013, I went to Taisho En and uh, uh, Urushibata-san, uh, who was the, you know, the, the owner and the artist, uh, you know, running the, the, the nursery. Uh, I was looking at these rows and rows of Shohin Japanese maples. Yeah. And like trunks, they were like, I don't know, three, sometimes four, five inches thick on a little pot. And uh, he says, yeah, these, a lot of these, I, I, you know, I grew in a pot. It, it, they've, they've been in a pot for like 40 years. I'm like, oh my God. And they're like, they're only like, you know, whatever. Yeah. Uh, six, eight, 10 inches. That's, that was it. Uh, they were absolutely amazing stuff. And just the discipline, just the patience of growing something in a pot for that long is just absolutely mind-boggling. Yeah, um, it's, it's insane. Yeah, yeah. So I have, um, right now, I have some, like um, like a couple of rough parts that I have. They're, they've been growing on a pot, and I, I keep kind of sort of developing in a pot and see what happens. I have a few other ones that I actually just harvested from my, from my uh, grow-out bed. And I take them out and put them apart. But those are those are will yield probably larger scars that hopefully they'll heal pretty well. Hopefully, um, but yeah, like you said, back to your point, it gives you a different kind of flavor. I know Bjorn talks a lot about about that as well. The the sort of differences between uh, ground growing something as opposed as opposed to very 
patiently growing something in a pot. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 produces a totally different flavor and, and totally different um, world of aesthetics. Not not necessarily good and good and bad, but different. Different, different, different. different. How do you feel? Um, this is something that I that I that I feel Europe is a little bit. Um, a little bit, a little more lax in their sort of quote-unquote rules as far as, I guess the question for you is, how do you feel about dead wood and, and the usage of dead wood in, in uh, deciduous trees? Yeah, with deciduous, my, my relationship with dead wood is very minimal. I think it makes sense on something like a, a, an old fruit tree that's, that's been in an orchard. It's been hacked back by, by man for, for years and years and years. Um, and it's, it's, it's just been kind of beat to death in this, you know, orchard life process. So I think on like an old ume, on maybe an old apple or something, it, 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 it makes a lot of sense to me, but on trees like a Japanese maple or a beech or something, when, when I see them in nature, they, they have a branch dies, it rots, it falls off, heals over. It's a very kind of short thing on, on the tree's lifespan. And so I think, you know, you can definitely see, you know, trees that are one in a million that, you know, have maybe this really weird rotted beauty to them. But most, most trees that I think we look at, um, they, they forego the deadwood, especially with deciduous. So what, what do you think? I, I think in limited cases, it makes sense. But it- oh, it's not a permanent thing, right? That, that's, I think that's, that's kind of what the, your point being. It's not a permanent thing. That's why it's not like with like, you know, uh, a Rocky Mountain juniper or, or you know, anything else like a spruce, uh, the pines, the, the wood will last for, for, for a long, long Right. Time. has the resins in, in the wood that, that help preserve it. Exactly. Exactly. So how do I feel about it? I, I do. Um, I agree with you. I think when it comes to things like, um, like Japanese maples, I don't think that they, for me, uh, as much as I want to be open and, and, uh, and lax, if you, in a certain way about rules, per se, because this is an art, right? So sometimes I, I want to apply a, a little bit of flexibility. But sure. when it comes to Japanese maples, the only example is the one that I talked to you about a little bit a while ago about the one from Randy Knight that I, there was no other way to salvage that tree but really make it look like an oak, right? Yeah. So, But other than that, I, I really shy away from buying material, at least these days, that material, when I mean specifically Japanese maples, that have any kind of... Uh, you know, uh, sort of dead wood or anything like that. I have, um, I have a large uh, uh, multi-trunk Japanese maples that, that originally came from Japan, was imported from uh, by uh, Doug Paul, you know, owner of the Kenny Collection. Anyway, long story, in the importation sort of process, a fourth trunk, which I would imagine it kind of split lower and it made for, for a five-trunk tree. I can imagine Japanese... Uh, having a, a four trunk, <laughs> trunk. Yeah, yeah, that's a bad number. <laughs> that's a bad number, exactly. So I imagine that that fourth trunk probably split very low, creating a five trunk. But anyway, so a large trunk on the left side of the tree died off. And um, so, you know, and it's a large scar. It's about, it's a big tree. I think that that scar is probably about four or five inches wide. I mean, wow. it's yeah. So I had to, when I purchased a tree, um, 
from from another enthusiast, he's actually uh, John Beerley, who is in Pennsylvania. Um, he got it from from the Kenneth Collection. Anyway, so I bought it from from him about three years ago, and I noticed that uh, the tree was doing very well, but that callus was not rolling over the the uh, the, the scar basically. And I thought it was very odd to me that it was not, it was almost stagnated in that area. And I'm like, hmm, well, when I started picking at it, the, the whole area, the entire wood, you know, uh, was completely rotted. Yeah. So that explained why that, that you know, the, um, the vascular layers were not kind of rolling over that scar. So I had to clean that entire area, right? I filled it with, um, I put in uh, uh, two-part epoxy. Okay. Just filled it up. Um, and now something like JB Weld or yeah, it's something, something like that. It's called I can't remember the name of the brand, but I got it in Home Depot. It's kind of like wood yeah. or something, but there's many different products, right? So I I feel the whole area. I know in Japan they use uh, concrete, but uh, I think that this two part epoxy, in my experience, works just just as well and uh, or better i would say and now it's kind of rolling over but going back to the dead wood you know part of me was like oh maybe i should just carve it all out but that it had no place in that design so yeah. i force i'm forced to close that wound as best as i can otherwise that tree um is, is not going to have the value i think that that, that it should have so um, so when it comes to Japanese maples, I would say there's no place for um, for dead wood. However, with oaks, with um, even the linden that I have that I originally got from Mirai, it's got one hollow area in, in one side that actually feels feels right for that tree. Yeah. Uh, you know, as opposed to trying to kind of carve it out and close it. I, I, I kind of like it. It gives a natural kind of feel to that tree. But yeah, there's it's kind of it's kind of funny because I think it kind of it kind of belongs, if you will, in certain uh, trees, but but or uh, species. But in Japanese maples, I don't think that there's any place for for deadwood in my. Yeah, opinion. yeah, I agree. And when you say it belongs in certain trees, you're you're talking about those trees. They just have this this character to them, not something that you created, but something that they they had. Sure. And, and, sure. and that's something that we can just live with. I think it's it's a very different story when you're taking like a Japanese maple, which has nice kind of smooth bark and you take a power tool and start you know carving in and, <laughs> and, and trying to create those features they're very very difficult to do well i think i very difficult and again it's just not a not a tree that calls for that kind of because again we're talking about a somewhat uh, delicate feminine if you will quality to it it's got very refined and all of a sudden you're you're hacking and you're creating this dead wood that yeah Kind of belongs more on an oak, for example, right? That it has this rustic feel to it, wild feel. So yeah, I think that there is a place for for dead wood in the deciduous trees, but certainly not not at least in my opinion in uh, Japanese maples. Yeah, yeah, I I, I totally agree. Um, there was, you know, there was a tree. I think it was last year or the year before, and it was at one of the European shows. I don't think it was No Landers. I think it was Bonsai San or. Um, one of the exhibitions, it was a Japanese maple and it had tons of deadwood. It was twisted like a juniper. It had almost every, everything that I love about a Japanese maple, it had almost the opposite of, and it was such a striking piece. I mean, I, I never conceived of a Japanese maple like that before. And it, it I, when I see those pieces, I, I really enjoy 
the contrast to, to my aesthetic versus what I see because it, it really makes me question. It makes me, um, it, it kind of positions where I want to be with my aesthetics a little more. Sure. If I'm only seeing trees that I like, then it's, you know, I'm not really learning anything. I'm not really thinking. But if I see something so contrary, so left field to what I'm, I'm used to, it's, it can be really striking. It makes you think, right? Absolutely, I agree. You, have you seen the tree? I know exactly the tree you're talking about. Yeah, and yeah. I think he got some. Uh, I think he got an award. I believe he might have been in a, the trophy. Oh no, 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 no! You're right. I think in the bonsai bonsai sun show. I think it's. Uh, I think one, so. Yeah. The one in France. Yeah, I believe yep. they got like a top prize there because it it, it was almost treated as a juniper. Uh, to your to your point, it was. Yeah, it had like deadwood. It had like the twists of the juniper, the, yes. the really contorted sinuous yeah. lines. And I I saw an article on bonsai focus on that particular artist and um, and I think he he does a lot of that uh, with a lot of his other trees. He's got this sort of like twisted kind of branching and yeah. uh, very different uh, treatment. Very different maple. So yeah, you know, it, do, it doesn't look like a Japanese maple whatsoever. But it at all it at was all. very interesting to see. At all, which actually brings me kind of to a question here because I, I thought a lot about this. Um, when you working on, on your Japanese maples, do you think I am going to evoke a Japanese maple or I'm going to evoke a deciduous tree in nature? You know, I, I think it goes to your point earlier. You know, sometimes you have a tree that has a really strong momentum and you have to, you have to keep going with that momentum. So if that momentum is like your Randy Knight tree that that's, really wants to be something more wild that's very anti-Japanese maple, then, then maybe an oak style is appropriate. But most of the time, if I'm working on a Japanese maple, then I want it to look like what I conceive of a Japanese maple. Um, and so with my young trees, uh, it's very easy because you know, there's no momentum there. I'm, I'm creating the momentum. And so with my young trees, I'm, I'm thinking about what do I, well, what do I think of as, as natural Japanese maple things? And I don't think of single trunks. Um, here in Portland, it's we're you know we're one of the best cities to see Japanese maples. They're all over the streets. Uh, if you didn't know any better, you'd think Japanese maple is a native tree here. They're just like literally wow. every year, and 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 they they grow so huge here. I've had people from Japan come and say, you know, these maples they grow you know twice as big as they do back in Japan. Wow. I mean, it's 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 crazy. So we have all these beautiful examples of Japanese maples here in Portland, and almost all of them are multi-trunk trees. And so, so that's, that's kind of step number one. I, I think of them more as kind of multi-trunk forms, which have a lot of elegance, um, lots of multiple lines. So rather than just like one big main trunk and then you have your branching that comes off of that, you know, lots of, you know, secondary trunks or tertiary, even trunk lines that kind of dance up and then go out. And so that's, that's kind of how I, I think about uh, Japanese maples, especially young ones. Interesting. Interesting. Do you, would it be fair to say that you, um, well, I guess the question is, uh, what kind of style, uh, do you, do you favor? Uh, and speaking of that, well, I guess it, I mean, I guess you, there's your answer, right? You're, you're, you're saying that you, you favor the multi-trunk style in Japanese maple. Yeah. I, 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 I'm more of a naturalist with bonsai. I like to create bonsai that look more natural than kind of idealized. So I don't like want that, really severe taper that kind of pine bonsai look with, you know, your first key branch, your, your back branch, your, your side branch, kind of very kind of triangular shape. I hear you. 
I, I, I love, you know, maples that look like maples and, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. and, and beaches that look like beach rather than beaches that look like pines. And so that's, that's kind of my approach. You know, that's one thing I, uh, I talk a lot about in, you know, some of the workshops that I do and stuff that uh, you're right. You're right. I see it, particularly I, I, I see it a lot. I've seen it a lot on, on tridents. And, uh, and even in Japanese maples, they have a tendency to have this very conical, extreme conical kind of structure yeah. that, uh, that is very pine-like, right? Uh, and of course, we can argue that pines can take many different forms, et cetera, et cetera. So sure. I get that. But generally speaking, it's got that very conifer kind of setup. And I, I try as much as possible, obviously in my work, uh, to kind of have that rounded rounded more rounded billowy kind of silhouette to to sure. my maples to your point yeah and I, I i also see in your work you're you're not trying to create pads with your branching but all the branching is is harmonious and it creates kind of one large large community of of a silhouette yeah so it's not very each branch is individualized it's part of a larger whole that's that's uh I think that that's a great way to put it. Yes, that's a, that's absolutely right, Andy. It's just uh, you know I, I I try to stay away from your your classic you know like pad like it's very structured sort of pads because while maybe okay with certain kind of conifers and stuff like that for deciduous is is something that just looks really rigid. It looks, yeah, it doesn't look right, right? It's just this kind of thing. The other thing too that I feel. In, in some of the deciduous work, in the, some of the deciduous design is that I feel for me that some of the, proportionally, right, looking at the tree with the trunk and the branches, many of the branches feel very short to me. I like, I like to get those lines a little bit more lo longer, a little bit elongate those lines a little bit to get that gracefulness and, and then start building my, my silhouette. I, I, I see trunks, proportionally speaking right the trunk and the branches are very very short in proportion to the trunk and then the, the tree does not feel feels almost constrained away feels a little bit odd to me yeah uh, I, I i noticed this too um and i think i think it's different with conifers i think a conifer for the same size trunk the branches can be closer to the trunk and look good but for a deciduous tree with the same size trunk they should you reach out just a little bit more it, that that feels more right yeah feels a little more softer, feel more yeah. relaxed, perhaps a little bit more. Yeah, uh, because otherwise they, they, they kind of have a tendency to, to look a little bit, um, I don't know, almost like topiary sometimes. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and whatever, that, that, can also, that can also go into conifer design. You know, some of the, con some of the bones I work feels a little bit, perhaps a little bit topiary-like as opposed to trying to evoke a tree nature kind of thing, uh, a little bit more of a natural. I mean, I, I, I guess I like this question has come up even in my own head. I, I like I like refine to see very refined work, but at the same time giving enough room to have a bit of a natural feel to. And this is actually for uh, you know deciduous Japanese maples or conifers. Um, I like I like the refinement, but I also like to give to let the tree have that a bit of a natural uh, flavor to it, um, as opposed to I mean it's just that sometimes it's such a fine line that uh, either you go one way or the other, and if you go this way, 
Itori looks like an artificial, looks almost like, um, you know, I see these silhouettes sometimes they are like cut in a way that feels like more like a topiary. Yeah. <laughs> You kind of razor edge. Yeah, almost like it's almost like a perfect like you know, and yeah, I, I know that that took obviously skill to to uh, grow, but at the same time, it's not really evoking nature or a tree in, in nature. Uh, I think as 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 well as it should. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, what do you when you're styling your Japanese maples and you have that branch that first comes off the trunk? Do you like that branch to grow up? down out a little bit of each i mean do you have like a a a framework for how you like those initial primary branches and and their directionality coming out of the trunk yeah interesting question i think i i've uh some uh, some kind of down through my head uh, on my trees um i it i guess it depends right i have my sharks pygmy if you look at that tree even from the lower branches they kind of grow up However, uh, I like when little wisps of, of fine, very prime branches kind of hang down. That, I see that in nature all the time where this tree, maybe all the branches kind of tend to grow upwards. But then I, I see, you know, a few delicate branches kind of hanging down very, very delicately down and then they go up again. I love that. So I try to kind of evoke that on, on my trees. So. I think it's a little bit of both, Andy. I feel like depending on the tree, you know, I don't mind that some of the branches, even on the seed, just kind of hang down, but always kind of sort of with a tendency to to grow, grow upwards again, up yeah. and out kind of thing. Um, it depends. I guess it depends on the on the actual particular tree that it may call for maybe a bit of an older image where, and well, certainly, I guess you can say that some older trees do tend to have uh, an upwards kind of growth habit. That's true too. But um, I think I, I think I do a little bit of both. What about you? Yeah, I, I think when I look at trees in nature, they ha- they're all different. So they're not, you know, all. I, I'd say generally, if we want to generalize it, most of them are upright. But then you'll see branches that come down. You'll see, you know, some some variation within. That, that framework. So I, I think, you know, having a little bit of everything is, is really nice, but yes. I think it's more important that the lines that happen, you know, after that initial um, movement that, that can make the magic happen. Absolutely. I, I as I'm, as you're talking, I'm remembering about a, a famous, uh, I'm sure you're, you, you, you were familiar with that tree. It's a huge Solkova in the national um, arboretum. Yeah, uh, sure. See, Big, huge one, very famous. And I was talking to the curator, Michael, uh, one time. This was last year. And there was one I remember that the whole, obviously, as, as a broom style, most of the branches kind of grow a bit upwards and stuff like that. And there was one moment that I saw a little bit, a little delicate branch just kind of hanging down and just breaking that silhouette, not making it perfect, just hanging down. And I said to Michael, whatever you do, I would not cut that thing off. To me, and to me, that really almost, and I know it sounds weird, I was telling him, to me, that makes a tree. It yeah. makes it look so natural. It was something beautiful that, that the tree just did by itself. They didn't even wire it that way. It sure. just hung down and said, please, <laughs> I would not even touch a branch. It's absolutely beautiful. I love moments like that when it happens because, again, obviously, you, you, you know, we see that in nature all the time. 
Yeah, sure. When when you're wiring a Japanese maple, do you think the the lines that you create are different than the lines maybe in a beech or a trident maple even? Or yeah, that's a, are are your 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 Japanese maple lines are they are they special in any way? Uh, you know, or very, does it more relate to that tree that you're wiring? That's an interesting question. I I think it relates more to the tree in question than. Then I don't know that I've ever constantly say, you know, I'm wiring something differently here as opposed to a beach. I think it, I think I react more to the feeling uh, of the entire piece itself, the tree itself, and what it wants to where where it wants to take me, where it wants to guide me, rather than consciously making a sort of a, a conscious decision basically about like, okay, I'm wearing sure. now this maple and I'm going to do it a little bit different. Um, I would be interested. What about you? Do you, do you find yourself that you do a little bit of different? Yeah, approach? I think, I think for me, it's trees have very kind of different movements and, and shrubs have very different movements. So trees, I, I'm, I'm wiring just very kind of elegant lines. So like trees, like a, a beech, a, a maple, a hornbeam, I'm doing just kind of very simple, elegant lines, you know, not too much movement, but just nice, simple, smooth lines. Uh, with shrubs, I'm doing a lot more craziness, a lot more spasticity, a lot more contortion. Yes. Um, so it's, to me, it's, it's more of a question of, is, is it a tree or a shrub? But I do see, you know, I'm, I'm starting to think there might be a little nuance within those, like within trees, for example, where you might have um, some, some, different lines like because when I'm, I'm looking at trees in nature I, I see oaks have very different lines than a, a maple for example okay. um, and not just in the way that you know oaks have branches that go down and maples mostly have branches that go up but even those those lines in themselves have kind of different habits and, and so I'm I'm wondering about it I'm not sure if that translates to a small bonsai scale but it's something I'm thinking about it is very interesting very interesting for sure. Um, so, you, but essentially, you are you are saying that whether it's a beech or whether it's a maple uh, or a hornbeam, essentially with those species, you you're saying that you're kind of creating these sort of elegant lines, but you're not making necessarily a, a differentiation between them, right? Yeah, if, if if I do make a differentiation between them, it's it's how the branches are placed, but the movement yeah. is still the same. Yes. I, I, um, so, um, yeah, yeah. As as in with a, with a shrub, you know, I'm I'm the the movements are a lot you know tighter. They're more compact. They're they're more crazy. Uh, but with a tree, they're more kind of smoothened out. Um, and I'll you know the where they end up on the tree might be different if it's a trident maple or a Japanese maple. But, wow. but the, the lines in and of themselves are, are quite similar. Sure, sure. I mean, I have, a, I have an oak now. I'm thinking of, about uh, a gray oak. It's pretty, it's pretty large, and it's sort of almost like a multi-trunk. It technically, not a multi-trunk, sorry, twin trunk, although technically that second, that second branch, it's more like a branch, but it, but it acts like a trunk. And, uh, and it really is like, you know, the, when I look at it, it, it kind of makes me do more sort of like stuff, basically design yeah. and twist in on those in those branches, movements in those branches that, to use your word, are you more spastic, if you will, 
kind of carry out, carry out the, the, the feeling of the trunk itself mm-hmm. rather than Japanese maple. That would, that's when, and we're talking about kind of like, that's when we were saying about the, the, the feeling of the tree in question is yeah. how drives that, that drives you to do certain things, right? I remember going through the exhibit and I, I'm sure you, you're familiar with it, the emperor. Um, yep. Uh, you know, that thing, that Hormi was absolutely incredible. I mean, super impressive as far as the size and the way the movement of that, it looked like, truly looked like an old ancient tree that you find in, in a valley or something. It was absolutely, absolutely crazy, crazy good. Yeah, I, I haven't been to the No Landers Trophy, but I, I really want to make it out to that show. I mean, yeah, the, the, the level of European stuff there is just amazing. It's just amazing, Andy. Um, and their, I, their, their presentation of their material looks looks exquisite, too. It's, it's not yeah. just that the trees are good, but the way that they're presenting it looks very clean, very absolutely sharp, very, you know, yes. lots of attention to detail, similar to yeah. Japan. Yeah, no, it's absolutely beautiful. Even Even the actual venue itself, got a clean graphic quality i mean it's got these long hallways very wide right and then they put they lay out this red carpet and then against the white uh sort of ta- um cloth that they put behind the trees i think it's white uh and it's got this very strong graphic look to it where it's all designed to to really highlight the trees and uh, i i felt like the whole thing to your point the presentation of the quality of the trees, their own individual presentation, the presentation in the, in the venue itself was absolutely uh, top notch, top notch. I mean, they're right now they're they're absolutely creating uh, the best the best stuff outside of Japan, uh, in my in my view, and in particular Spain is absolutely killing it. Yeah, day. Spain's on. Spain no. is killing it right now with their their work. It's it's on fire. It's on fire. Some of those. Luis Vallejo's um, maples uh, it, it, that you find in the Alcobendas Museum yeah. that were featured at the trophy and stuff like that. Absolutely inc- just incredible stuff. Yeah, and obviously uh, the European access to material from Japan is I'm very envious of. They can still get material <laughs> quite easily. Um, we're, we're very challenged here. It's almost well, an art just to shop for trees that, in the that, United States. That's a, that's absolutely right. That's absolutely right. You know, can I tell you? I was uh, I was when I was at the road trophy. One guy was telling me, uh, say, yeah, you know, it's not that so. He was telling me it's not so easy to to get for us to get stuff either. But meanwhile, I was looking around the vending area. Yeah, you I, go. I seen photos of the vending yeah. area. There's you know, it's like, dozens of trees from Japan. I mean, my my mouth was watering. It's like, oh my god! I said I could not believe the level of the quality of the of the sales area. I was just like, you know, forget the exhibition itself. I mean, the the the, uh, the vending area was just insane, insane. I just wish I could put a couple of them and just take them away. With yeah, them. yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I I do worry that we're. I mean, Europe, I think, has found in Croatia some access to some really beautiful, really striking Yamadori. But I do worry that um, in both Europe and the United States that we're not doing enough to build deciduous trees for the future. Um, I mean, what's going to happen when the Kennet collection stops importing and, and we can't get a hold of like a nice old Japanese maple anymore? Or, or uh, same thing in Europe when the, when the you know all the trees from Japan get 
you know, eventually sold out. Yeah. Um, I don't see enough people playing with air layers, playing with young trees to, to meet the demand. And especially lately, the demand is growing really, really strong for deciduous. Yes. Um, it, it's, I don't see a lot of people, you know, doing the work that Ebihara did, Oishi did, you know, 20, 30 years ago to, to, to start out this, this wealth, wealth of material. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a, that's a great point. That's a great point. Not enough of, uh, you know, people kind of growing your material for the future, uh, which I, which I think, I, I think is an interesting point, and I think that uh, that there should be also more concerted effort um, by by someone, you know, um, to, to 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 kind of look into the future. Um, yeah. You know? I mean, as you know, in Japan they have growers, and then they have more like artists, but but the growers, we need we need we need the growers as well. We need we need more growers in the United States. We we really do. I mean, as a deciduous guy, you know, of course, and we know what happened with Toparian, but Toparian was just like, you know, I mean, just uh, fantastic in the sense that uh, not only they had conifers, but they were growing uh, in proper, properly growing deciduous trees for bonsai. But, uh, but it is, as you well know, it's, it's tough to find really good material here. Even your material that people are growing out with knowing like, preparing the material correctly within the body, lower trunk movement, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, I get materials and what happens is some of my material, I get, I get these wacky sort of nebaris that I, that I, that I now struggle to kind of fix basically root, root um, uh, grafts or, or cutting this root or whatever. And it's, you know, that is a, one of the hardest things to change, right? Is the nebari itself. But um but it's a shame because I don't think that they, they grow it. You've got a nice fat trunk, but the, the body's not there. The body's just these weird roots that are thick and there's no finesse to it at all. And you can tell that nobody was paying attention to, 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 the, uh, to the root work uh, when, when that was being grown. Yeah, yeah. I think in the United States, we focus a lot on growing the trunk, but we don't put that focus into the nabari and we don't put it into the primary branch structure. So all, a lot of time what I see uh, when I'm working, you know, traveling to work with clubs and students and whatnot, is I see, you know, really great trunks, but then I have, then off those great trunks, you have these little tiny twigs and there's no transition from trunk to primary branching to secondary branching the twigs. Same thing in the nabari, you have this really nice kind of trunk but then it's there's it's just kind of dead going into the soil there's not that that effort that went into building the trunk you don't see that translated yeah. uh, enough i think into the nabari into the primary branch structure I, I gotta tell you i think that the, the thing that amazes me most one of the things that amazes me that you know the most about japanese well japanese culture i guess in general but in bonsai is the 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 um, discipline that they apply to uh, to the to the to the technical aspect of, of bonsai, um, you know, I know that that they get maybe uh, there's you know some folks sort of criticize them for not being wildly artistic or creative and, and such. Which I have to say, I I, I would probably I'm gonna disagree with that uh, as well. But but the the discipline is something, and the attention to detail is something that I don't think we get. Uh, Especially, I think Europe is definitely getting there for sure. But I think in the U.S., I feel like the lack of the lack of uh, attention to detail is one of the things that I that that I think we need to kind of improve on. In, in, again, in my humble opinion, that's kind of what I'm seeing. That um, 
you know, and also discipline. They, they, I mean, if you're going to do bonsai, and I realize that some folks want to just do it as a, as a, just um, as know, a hobby. Exactly. Yeah. And that's fine. That's fine. But, um, but you know, it's, uh, I feel like there's a, there's a lack of, of, of detail overall, right? From, from building a tree, designing a tree to displaying a tree, et cetera, et cetera. I think that that lack of detail is missing. I think we'll get there. I think U.S., as you know, I mean, we got folks like you yourself, young people are coming into the scene and really changing the game. Of course, we have Ryan and we have Michael, uh, you know, and a host of all of Bjorn, um, but, uh, which, is, which is exciting. It's very, very exciting to see. Yeah, it's an exciting time to be in it really in America. It's, it really is. There's a it, lot it, happening. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and uh, I mean it's definitely exciting. And I think that you know you guys are just really changing the game and upping the game too, uh, for sure. Uh, so uh, in that sense, it's really exciting. I mean, we 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 uh, I mean you you can only look at the at the nationals itself, right? Like a few years ago. Yeah, the national show has improved tremendously in just a few years. Yes, yeah, absolutely. You can see it right there. Um, so again, very, very exciting. Very exciting. Going going back to we talked, we started to talk a little bit about growing Japanese maples. Do you find any nuances with the the horticulture of of a Japanese maple compared to other deciduous trees, and and how we grow them, how we care for them, the techniques that we apply. Uh, do you, what do you what do you find that might be different about Japanese maples than you know a beech or a trident or, or something sure. else? Well, right off the bat, I would say, and that's why one another reason why I like Japanese maples is because, um, and I guess it's because they move their resources so quickly, right, through their system that many things, many techniques like root grafting, thread grafting, approach grafting, all that kind of stuff can be done rather quickly and readily rather than for example a beach beach especially not maybe not so much european beach in my experience but maybe a japanese beach notoriously difficult to get a nice radio nebari right yeah. from a layer they're they're difficult if you're lucky enough to get roots um if you're doing uh it's just a slower process with holding with uh, J- uh japanese beach uh, even with elm, I found it fairly easy. But just to put it in perspective, I did um, I did a, a thread graft on a big Yatsubusa elm. Actually, that came from from uh, Mirai uh, about three or four years ago. That thread graft took me a full year before it actually took, and he's it, taking well and he's doing great. Japanese maple. Uh, a thread graft you can do it uh, for the most part on average you can do it within a growing season uh, so you know that I would say that right off the bat is the the uh, uh, how fast how quickly you can do some of those techniques in Japanese maples as opposed to something like uh, Japanese uh, beach um, so much much more much easier done for sure. Yeah, I've definitely noticed that in your work. It's, it's, it's really fun to go to your website and see the, the transformations, you know, in maples that you've you know, started working on in 2015. And by 2017, it looks, you know, totally different. And by 2020, it's, it's this really transformed, beautiful, you know, piece of sculpture. And so it's, it's, it's fun to see how fast that they can transform once you're putting that attention to detail into yeah. them. Yeah. 
uh, I mean, speaking of that, like, like, yeah, to your point, Andy, there's some trees there that, that within two years, right, almost looks finished, right? Um, so that, that, is, that is really satisfying to see because in two, two years, I mean, two years is nothing bonsai. But then when we get into the nitty-gritty of stuff and you start really studying the, the structure, I mean, I always say, okay, to, to the folks, if I'm doing a workshop, it may look like a finished tree in the photograph, but I can guarantee you that this tree needs a good another five, <laughs> eight years to sure. really dial it in, like shorten the, the internodes, et cetera, et cetera. So then that becomes that kind of extra level of, of, of uh, detail and care and all that stuff. But sure. yeah, you can pretty much kind of transform a Japanese maple fairly quickly, um, you know, uh, uh, as opposed to, again, like a, like a Japanese beech or, or a hornbeam that, that uh, a little bit slower, certainly, when it, certainly slower when it comes to, when it relates to like techniques such as grafting. Um, yeah. you know, it, it's not quite as, uh, as easy, e- easily done. Yeah, yeah, I've noticed that as well. I've tried to do some fair grafting on a, a Japanese beach, and it is just a totally different process <laughs> than, a, well, than that, a Japanese maple. How was that for you? Yeah, it uh, about half of them took, and the ones that did take really didn't settle in until two or three years down the road. Yeah. So it's it's, yeah. it's just totally different process. It's amazing how you know, and I guess that's why you know when we cut the Japanese maples, why we we prune them in 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 the spring, they bleed like crazy, and you know, like you know, it's insane how much they just like drip drip drip. Well, while you cut a Japanese beech or or a hornbeam, and they don't, I mean, at least in my experience, they don't they don't do that. But it's kind of crazy to see these low cut branch, and they just like almost like yeah. A dripping down is like oh my god <laughs> yeah I, I tried not to do very much pruning of, of maple in the, the um, winter time just because they, they they're so notorious for bleeding it's, yeah. it's strange i mean we have such a short window from when the leaves drop and fall off there's about seven to ten days to where you can prune that maple and not have bleeding but after 10 days or 11 days or something it's a short window but but there's that that kind of fine line where they just start bleeding and they won't stop until they start leafing out again. Yeah. It, it's, it's kind of, yeah, it's, it's pretty crazy how that happens. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I want to ask you about a few techniques. Um, are you pinching your, your Japanese maples in the spring? The, the new growth I, you're pinching the center shoot. I am. I am. I do pinching. Obviously I'm pinching on, on more developed trees. Sure. Uh, and so I, I pinch it right just to kind of stop that growth. And uh, I've even resorted to uh, to defoliating, uh, just or at least taking partial defoliation, or sometimes full defoliation. For example, on the apex, certain trees, and I know that uh, you know Japanese maples are, are pretty notorious for that. You let it, 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 it the apex starts getting too strong. Before you know it, it's going to completely ruin your your fine ramification. They'll get all thick and kind of. Uh, you know, uh, sort of stubby and whatnot. So yeah. you have to kind of, you, you gotta have to weaken and slow that, that strong parts off. Right. Uh, but so I do pinching, uh, certainly again, when it comes to things that are, are more in, in development, you know, I let them grow, explode, whatever, no pinching, no, no cutting back, no nothing. Um, but yeah, I, I do a certain amount of, of, of that, um, do you, have you experienced any nuance within the pinch? So let's say you have a shoot that's growing in the spring, you're going to pinch it. Have you experienced any nuance from pinching it early versus pinching it late? 
do you have a time frame that you like to do the pinching? Uh, somewhat, I would say. But here is here is the weird thing about it, and I, I I'm sure you've noticed this. Even sometimes when I don't pinch, right? You, I still get that first note. It's still fairly sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes it's pretty short, and I haven't pinched. So I can always cut back to that short note and I haven't pinched. So it's kind of, I think for me pinching, if, if I'm really kind of really thinking about it, sometimes it's just to stop for, from, from that branch thickening too much, you know, like sure. and, and keeping it kind of fine. More so perhaps even slightly more so than trying to keep my internal short. Because in my experience, sometimes like if I miss something and it run away from me, I, I look back, I'm like, oh, look at that. I have a fairly short internal. And then, of course, they, they, they get a lot longer as, as, as they go. Yeah. As they go. But that first note is pretty short sometimes. Not all the time. Sometimes, you know, they, they get this long internal. So it's kind of odd to me how that happens because, you know, we talk about the pinching to keep it internal short. But I don't know that that always is the case or at least as far as like what i'm what i have seen yeah i've, I've seen that too with, with the maples it's it's tends to be more about keeping the the caliper small keeping the, yeah. the branches thin than than getting an extension where you want them exactly. And, exactly and typically on the trees that we're pinching anyway they're more refined trees and so when you have more ramification those trees are going to have slower metabolisms they're going to be growing at you know, much slower rate than if you just have, you know, a tree that you dug out of the ground, which is going to pump along with these big, oh, yeah. long, with huge logs, like huge leaves and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Are you, um, you, you mentioned defoliation a little bit. Are you, are you, you, you said you're playing with defoliation mostly just on the, the, the crowns of your, your, no, I actually, I actually, and I know that this is something that, uh, you know, or at least as I understand it, is something that is, these days frown, frown upon, but uh, I will admit, I do do um, full defoliation, complete defoliation on Japanese maples. Uh, I do partial defoliation, but that's a bit of a, that's a bit of a different strategy, right? You, wanna, you want the partial defoliation to let more light in and air and all that good stuff. The, the full defoliation, I tend to do it just to kind of uh, give me that, what the, you know, as some people, put it the second spring so to speak yes and, uh, i i have found that a combination of that and cutting back with a combination of the full uh defoliation i have never let's just let me let me say i have never lost a tree or a branch or anything by by defoliating a tree i always say though uh that you have to know your tree you have to be careful because you can seriously uh you know uh, sort of damage a tree to, to a point where you may kill it. Yeah. Um, but if you, but if, but if I see the tree that is nice and strong, I, I don't hesitate in full defoliation. And I, I, I can, that's how I've been able to kind of uh, increase my ramification in, in such a short period of time. Uh, but again, I, I know that it's, it's, it's highly debilitating to the tree. So I have to, it's not something that I- You have to read the energy of the tree and make sure it can sustain that. I always put that kind of caveat to people. I don't want people to think, let me just defoliate it. And of course, it's it's a strategy that you want to apply, a technique that you want to apply 
uh, specific cases. You don't want to just have this young thing. I'm like, I'm going to defoliate it. No, there's, there's always a time for that. Right. Uh, like sure. anything else. So, but uh, yeah, I, I don't, I don't like to go around saying, yeah, just defoliate. And I put a huge caveat there because I don't want people killing their trees, uh, you know, needlessly uh, just because they don't, you know, they don't, they don't know their tree prior as, as well as they, they, they should. So, um, but yeah, I, I do the full defoliation. Uh, and do you do I, this on like, assuming all your trees are healthy and strong, do you do this on all your trees? Do you do it on your young trees, your old trees, the refined trees, the thin trees, which ones are you doing this on? Uh, I would say not on the young trees, very young trees. No, never. I let them kind of do their thing, grow, you know, I need caliper, I need this, I need that. That's so I, I let them do their thing, no pinching, et cetera, et cetera. Um, what I may do though in, in those early stages here and there, I may do partial defoliation, which again, doesn't, doesn't stop so much the growth, lets the air and, and light in. Sure. Um, for the most part, is that, is that the point where I need the, the, you know, I have the basic branch structure, but I kind of need the, the tree to kind of just go to the next level as far as the amount of ramification it has. And that's where I have a, a Kashima maple. Actually, I saw that tree. But in my on my website that I almost killed, by the way, it, it went down to like stop in in about five years. It almost looks like it's a finished tree. I mean, again, there, there was a lot more development uh, that I needed to do the tree. But if you look at the two pictures and and the reason for that, I did about three defoliations in those five years. So every other year, more or less, I did the the defoliation. Um, so you're not doing it every year. You're kind of letting the. Not, the tree kind of stabilize and, and exactly. gain some strength again, and then you're coming yeah. in. And exactly. And of course, on more developed trees that are really highly, more highly ramified, uh, I, don't, I don't do any of that stuff. I just maybe do the partial defoliation if, if it's needed. So when you, when you buy a, a Japanese maple, it has some good bones, and you're, you're working on setting that initial design, that initial structure. You, know, you might defoliate it every other year or something like that for a few years. But once it starts to build that design that you're happy with, you you start to back off and yeah, I don't I don't touch it at all. I don't I I mean again I, I may do the partial defoliation, but I definitely do not resort to a, to a full defoliation. Um, I don't. Um, I also again I don't I don't believe in the in the hedge pruning either. I don't do that. I like to go. Well, what what what's the reason for that? Why 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 do you choose well, I, something else? Yeah, I feel like I need, I want to be a little more strategic about like how I cut my, my trees and where I cut them. I want to know exactly where, where I'm cutting and how I'm cutting it as opposed to this just sort of like global kind of cutting around in the entire tree. And uh, yeah, of course you're going to get bug budding, but, but I feel like, you know. You're kind of I, letting randomness decide where the tree is going to regrow rather than yeah, there, there's being very a, cut. I suppose you can argue that there is a, maybe you, you might get a, a naturalness out of that because you're kind of leaving it up to like the tree to kind of figure out where it's going to bud back. But the problem is, again, in, from what I've seen, is that you, you can get like the coarse tips. Uh, yeah. You're going to get that kind of thing. You're going to have a tendency to get that. And there's a, an aesthetic to it, right? That uh, I think if, if you're, you definitely have, you definitely achieve a, a certain aesthetic with the with the hedge met, uh, pruning method, that it may be appealing for 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 some folks, and and that's totally fine. Uh, for me, I like to go a little more 
perhaps you know strategically if you will a little more carefully into each section and knowing exactly where i'm coming back obviously it, it takes a lot longer um but i get the results that are that are more you know perhaps uh, more appealing to me yeah I, I couldn't agree with you more there yeah well well we talked a lot about japanese maples do we do we miss anything or any any closing thoughts about maples I, i'm sure there's more to talk about at sometime probably, yeah you probably we can be here for a whole week andy uh you know totally geeking out on japanese maples but uh yeah no i i i think we cover a lot and um you know hopefully folks that are listening to this uh uh, will we'll enjoy it and uh, I, you know I, again I, you mentioned this uh, I, one one closing thought I would say is the how exciting it is that um, that I see the tide turning uh, as far as the CGO's interest in the U.S. Um, obviously you know the conifers will, will never go away uh, and sure. they should not right but there is a real interest a lot of interest in the CGO's work these days in the U.S., which is very, very exciting, very exciting. Yeah, I, I think, you know, we, we tend to want what we can't have. And so until Randy Knight starts pulling off these highly ramified Japanese maples from the mountains, it's, it's uh Exactly, sign me up. But, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, until that somehow starts to happen, it's, uh, it's, it's a really intriguing process to get an old refined deciduous tree. And it's, you know something about your your work that I've I've really admired is you're you're finding some trees with good bones and you're just you know building on that momentum and really putting some beautiful design into them. So well, thanks thank for coming you. on the podcast, Sergio. It was, it was great so to much, have you. Andy. Thank you so much. And uh, I was you know again I'm honored that to 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 be in your podcast and uh, it was it was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed uh, again geeking out uh, with you on uh, on the senior stuff. Great. Well, hope to talk to you again soon. All right, Andy. You take care. Thank you so much. Take care. The music on today's podcast is brought to you by the fine folks at Blue Dot Sessions. Check them out at www.sessions.blue. You're listening to... Let's try that again.